Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, August 20th, 2023. The share ID numbers for Friday, August 18th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,000. 551, that's 20551. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 20,552, 20552. This morning, A Vision for You presents Recovery from Grief in the 12 Steps. Overeaters Anonymous stands for the proposition that the 12 steps gives us freedom from the bondage of our disease and sets us on a new path, clearing the way to the promises of recovery. OA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of can expel the obsession to compulsively overeat and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. The results are disproportionate to our efforts, yet our efforts are required to sustain and enlarge it. Hence, the big book states that we trudge the road of happy destiny. Trudge, meaning to walk or march steadily and usually laboriously. Yes, with effort, great effort. Those of us who trudge the road of recovery know that pain and challenges and at times perhaps grief are a part of life and part of the journey. However, during this adversity, we in recovery have a choice to implement the 12 steps and strengthen our reliance on God. Trudging is the work of a lifetime. There are some hills we climb over and over again from the bottom up, day in, and day out, yet there are certain instances, certain experiences, fateful dips and rises in the terrain of our destinies and lives that reconfigure the altitude of our entire landscape. During these ordeals, we can be either tossed to the abyss or hoisted on high. Through the process of the 12 steps, and a relationship with God, we are lifted and elevated to a different plateau. Yes, we have a new vision. Yes, we can experience recovery, even in loss and grief. Joining us today to share her experience, strength, and hope on this topic is Elena C., a recovered compulsive overeater from South Carolina. Elena is dedicated to trudging the 12-step path of recovery, and she's here to carry the message 
with depth and weight. And it's with appreciation that I welcome Elena C. to the line. Good morning, Elena. Good morning, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much for your introduction and your words of wisdom. Thank you so much, you all, for being here today. Um, and I pray that my words will touch someone um, or more people here, and then especially the newcomers who um, – I'm very fortunate when the newcomers are on the line because it reminds me where I was and it reminds me how hard it was for me. Um, So my name is Elena and I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater in the beautiful city of Greenville, South Carolina. I would like to read, uh, to start by reading the thought for the day in our OA literature on August the 20th, it's called For Today, the um, Daily Reader. And he says, there is a courtesy of the heart. It is akin to love. Out of it arises the purest courtesy in the outward behavior by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Courtesy of the heart may seem detached. It does not interfere with another's decisions or give advice or need approval. It neither plays games nor passes judgment. It does not accept guilt or make others feel guilty with why didn't you do it this way? Why made you do that? Courtesy of the heart does not distinguish between president and boss boy, can never feel snobbish or superior, and is able to learn from everything and everyone. Courtesy of the heart welcomes new ideas and people, feels joy instead of fear, sees with fresh eyes and appreciates rather than criticizes what it sees. And for today, may I be one of those so blessed as to be able to show courtesy of the heart to all of you today. You know, and we are all here because uh, we've been hit by the so-called disease of compulsive overeating. I was born many years ago in a small town in the Carpathian Mountains in Transylvania, Romania. And for those who know the history of Prince Dracula, just so you know, uh, my higher power has not revealed to me that I would be a vampire. My early years are full of memories of amazing connections and love from people in the town. I grew up. The energy of the mountains and the warmth of the community held me in safety and compassion throughout my early childhood and adolescent years. I was able to recognize this holding in safety due to my 12-step recovery. God in my recovery wants me to understand and focus and remember what an amazing community that was for me, what amazing growth and God I got from there. And God does not want me today to dwell on the negative, as I very much can do. Connection of our food, drinks, and coffee for us Romanian people was profound. If you have ever visited an Italian family, and then you go to, um, to have dinner with them, and then when you're perhaps full, they want you to eat some more, and then you say no. When you turn around, they put food on your, on your uh, plate. And so Romanians, when you leave, they will stop your bags with food. 
And for us, almost like it was our identity. Food was the identity, how we connected. My first memories of compulsive eating were over my mother's cooking for me, my favorite chocolate cake and fudge. She also used to give me, um, when she returned from work, chocolate, and I totally devoured them fully. The association between myself, the triggering foods, and my mom was so elusive that I could not differentiate the true from the false. Now, here's what was so profound in my story starts. And I was not able to distinguish if it was connection with mom or how I felt when I ate that chocolate. What was better for me? What was more safe? What was, you know, amazing? My mother, as I recall, was my first higher power. Children, as you know, need parents as higher powers to be able to feel safe in the world. I binged over my mother's gracious giving of chocolates and sweets. And thus, as a result, I felt closer to her. Children just like me, I believe, are born with God within. If you doubt that, I invite you to watch a newborn sleeping, drinking a bottle, or nursing. That peace you see in that child, to me, is God within. Because at the core of each one of us is the fundamental idea of God. I believe was born with the God within. My father was my masculine higher power. I adored that beautiful man with all of my heart. As years passed, his drinking grew out of proportion, and my mother became extremely preoccupied with his alcoholism. My sister, who was 10 years older, suffered from a chronic medical condition, and she's been sick throughout the years. I remember her. She was my other higher power. I just wanted to be like her. I needed her. I believe I began at that time to grieve my mother's shorter and shorter connection with me. My father's alcoholism, alcoholism of my father, took that man away from me more and more as the time passes. Because addiction is a family disease, as the big book tells us. There was a period of stability and God in my life. However, I remember as watching the mountain in front of me that touched the sky. It was, I was in the front yard of my house and I saw that beauty. And I believe that image of the mountain melting in a blue sky was the God, the experience, the God of my childhood. I desired to climb the mountain and touch a little bit of the blue sky. And that meant I was in heaven and I would be happy for the rest of my life. Or so I thought, until my universe was shattered at the age of 16, when my sister passed away suddenly. She was my other higher power, right? And at that time, I experienced, I believe, the biggest loss in my life. It's after her passing, when I began to numb the pain inside, that the pain that I was not able to feel. 
I pretended that has not happened. I remember going to school <clears throat> and everybody acted normally just like before. And I'm like, no, this hasn't happened. I remember my father and I went to visit her husband after she died. We went to a campus at a university they were both attending. And her husband gave me as a gift a big box of chocolate, which I ate in several minutes. I believe I ate my grief. I ate my grief, all of my grief until that point. And food, cigarettes, boys, and other shenanigans were the bandage I used to cover the pain. Food was not a problem for me. Food became the solution. Food helped me to cope with the overwhelming pain of feeling my feelings of grief and loss. I believe that that pain will kill me. The pain will kill me, not the food, not the cigarette, not the boys, not whatever I did. The pain would be so endurable that I'm going to die. We eat to cope with the indescribable pain of I was born in a small body, <clears throat> and I did not have an appetite in my teen years for some reason, and or my early 20s. And I was very, very skinny, and I was bullied in the middle and high school for that. And I began to feel uncomfortable in my own skin. I became very preoccupied with how I looked and how other, others will see me, whether they will find me attractive or not. So since my early 20s to my 30s, I did that. And, you know, I can do that even today. If I don't get my God straight, I can be very focused on how I look. I had no big problems about my vision chocolate and sweets because I was skinny and I was gaining weight, and I liked that. So food became for me even more of a solution. I stayed in my desired body weight for a while. I, be, I was admired by my female friends. I appealed to many, many boys. I graduated from college with honors, got me a job. I was pretty comfortable. And I also signed us at that time in an amazing class. You want to know what that was called? Elanon for Dummies. I found me the man of my dreams. As an adult child of an alcoholic, I married another alcoholic, surprise, surprise. And boy, oh boy, I had arrived. Big book, page three, Bill Story says, for the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way, says Bill. For me, fortune threw another alcoholic my way. I had arrived just like Bill. In the relationship with that man, I became convinced that I can transform him into the man 
I wanted him to be. And I ate, and I ate, and I ate over that work, hard work that I've done. And I drank, I even drank with him. I wanted to connect with him. I wanted to stop and not feel the grief over his not becoming the man I wanted him to be. I mean, that man, I'm, I feel so sorry for him today, you know. <laughs> so I had to be happy. I believe that if I could reach, you know, if I could have the man of my dreams, what I wanted him to be, I will be happy. And then together, perhaps, we could reach that little piece of blue sky from my childhood and live happily ever after. That was all my goals in life. I believe in fairy tales. The more I failed into transforming him, the more I ate and I ate and I ate. And just like Bill and Bill's story, page four, the old determination to win came back. I needed to arrive with this man. I so much needed. Are you kidding me? I saw that I could not succeed in that. And I tried even more and more and more because I took that as a challenge. I became insane, like the insanity that Steps 2 talks about. And I used food to numb the grief of not being able to have the man of my dreams. We both moved to U.S. in my late 20s, and I ate to numb the grief of losing my parents, my friends in Romania, in my country. In my mid-30s, the disease of compulsive overeating hit me with a vengeance. It's clear today that the progressive nature of my food addiction was starting to show. I also believe that at that time, the physical allergy, the phenomena craving began. Dr. opinion, page XXX. Phenomenon of craving is the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we're familiar permanently eradicated. It's progressive and can never be permanently eradicated. And with this statement, it was revealed to me that Dr. Silkworth himself is beginning his own recovery from grief over his inability to treat the hopeless alcoholics. I mean, this man who acquired medical knowledge and is engaging in the treatment of alcoholism sees that 10% of people in a hospital that keep coming back, and he has no idea what to do. And I believe he grieved that. He grieved what he learned. I'm like, you know, he's like, I'm powerless. I believe that he is the first one to take first step um, when he surrenders his medical knowledge to the, it says page XXV, 
the rapidly growing fellowship of the men and their families. And he refers to Bill as this man. This man and over 100 others appear to have recovered. I believe in a way we grieve the fact that we're not like average individuals, that we can con- we continue to numb that grief with eating. And so we can feel we belong. I know I did that. And that was true for me. In the United States, I needed to belong once again. Can I find that mountains and the sky here? I participated in gatherings and parties. And majority of times I brought a big cake. And if I didn't bring a cake, I made sure that I stayed by the cake. And I usually would eat half of the cake even more. Some parties were for the kids. And the parents on several occasions had to hide a cake from me. They had to put a cake in the fridge so they could give the cake to the children the next day. I felt very lonely, and I ate some more, just like Bill in page one. I was very lonely, he says, and again turned to alcohol. So the good news that I began attending um, Al-Anon, <clears throat> and in that program, I got me a higher power, my understanding. And um, after about 15 years of that pro- in that program, a friend in that program spoke to me about OA and spoke to me about her own disease of compulsive overeating. I really wanted to have what she had. So she took me to my first meeting. And after the first meeting, what did I do? I went to a party when, of course, I offered to bring the cake. On my way to the party, I called her and I said, you know, I'm going to bring a cake. I'm bringing a cake and I'm going to eat one piece. And she was like, well, okay, well, call me back and tell me how that works for you. In my first meeting, of course, that didn't work, right? In my first meeting, <clears throat> I was um, pissed. I was pissed at the words compulsive overeater. And, you know, anger, I believe, is a manifestation of grief. Anger is a feeling that one can feel due to grieving. I was like, you know, you brought me here, and now you're telling me there's something else wrong with me. And by the way, what else is new? <clears throat> My friend also told me about a vision meeting. And I listened to the meetings, and they appealed to me. And, I mean, these meetings saved my life. I got me a sponsor, and I recovered with her. And after I received my first one-year chip, an amazing story happened. My mom was visiting, and I remember I was invited at an international (coughs) party, and What did I do the same day I got me the chip? I baked my favorite chocolate cake. 
by myself. Mom was in the house. I went to the to the party. I was good in not eating anything, but when I returned home, I brought a piece of cake to my mother. And she asked me to eat a cake with her, and I did not hesitate when I said yes. And then, you know, my mom knew that I have an issue with sugar, and I can't put sugar in my mouth. But mind you, dare you to convince my people that you cannot eat certain foods. You know, they, they, they will fight with you, let alone my mom. So at that time, she was showing the first six symptoms of dementia. And it was just like that. <clears throat> she asked me to eat a piece of chocolate cake like the one in my amazing childhood. And I did what I did not hesitate to say yes. I ate over grieving the loss of her. Once again, now this is so profound and it has been revealed to me after I spoke with someone, I reached out to someone in desperation and I said, I ate a piece of cake. I, I slipped. And she said, no, you didn't. You realize. Slip, you, when you say you slip, that's a dying mentality. And so actually, you know, I explained to her what happened and she said, you know, Elena, you grieved over your mom. That's what you did. And sure enough, it was true. There is a solution in the big book. <clears throat> in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, it gives us clear direction to cope with grief. Faith 8, Bill's story. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the four dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as the time passes. And I promise you that as you recover from this deadly condition, you will recover in the 12 steps from whatever pain is under, whatever you're trying to numb with your compulsive overeating. Now, let me talk a little bit about what grief is. Grief is a normal reaction to something we no longer have and we loved. It could be a person, a situation. We could also grieve our childhood, our parents, our roots. We can grieve our dreams and the relationships we want to have with others. We can grieve our will, the idea that I am grieving my will. Now, you know, I was stubborn, and they love me for that. And so I, when I heard that I need to let go of my will, I was, what the heck? So we can grieve our normalcy, and in our case, the foods we love to eat, and the fact that we're not like others in body and in mind. We could grieve our aging. We could grieve our roles in life or the roles we no longer love, have, and we can grieve so much more than that. Life in itself is just pure grief. The recovery from grief for me, what was that? How did that look like? <clears throat> Where recovery is the action I took to work 
the 12 steps. Recovery means my willingness to enter in a relationship with God of my understanding. Because recovery begins, continues, and never ends with God. Grief means many, many emotions, beliefs, thoughts, sensations, such as denial, anger, sadness. The whiny statements, as I heard them be called, and that might mean for me, why God did you take my sister away? Why God did you have to be need to be born to an alcoholic parent? Why God? Why God? And when my first sponsor, I told my first sponsor in Ellen, I said, well, you know what? You don't, I don't believe in God. I'm not sure what you're going to do with me because I don't believe in God because I'm mad at God. And she said, well, what do you mean you were mad at God and you don't believe in God? It's okay. You do believe in God. You're mad at God. And that's okay to be mad at God. And, you know, then there's guilt. <clears throat> guilt means this happened because I have something to do with it. And I'm driving myself crazy to do it even better so that doesn't happen. So then I don't feel pain. And these, what I just said, I believe for me, there were character defects that the 12 steps talks about. I believe in the big book, everyone is grieving. Dr. Sokworth is grieving. Bill, Dr. Bob, all other people are grieving. The, the first 100 people, the families of alcoholics are grieving. Even Carl Young is grieving when he realizes that he cannot cure Roland Hazard, but in test he sends him to Oxford group. More hope in the recovery from grief is in page 50, chapter We Agnostics, and I love that. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In a phase of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. I believe grief that's not healed is pushing God from my heart deeper and deeper and deeper. And when I discover God in my heart through the 12 steps, God will can help me heal from grief. And since there's God in everyone, and when willing, we can find God who's already there for us. We can recover because God is inclusive, never exclusive. Page 53, God is everything or else he's nothing. God either is or he isn't. Page 57 speaks about recovery from grief, I believe. Even so has restored us, even so has God restored us, to our right mind. He has come to all who have honestly sought him. Now, to all. That's, that's so profound. When I come close to him with my grief and all 
he discloses himself to me. And he surely did. Page 58, chapter 5, we acknowledge how we work. Speaks about what impedes, what makes it hard to recover from pain and grief. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So here come the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The first thing I need to do is to be honest, honest to myself and honest with the God of my understanding. <clears throat> Step one, I need to surrender and admit defeat that I'm powerless over my pain, just like I'm powerless over my food addiction. Step two, I need to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, that this power can help me when I do not like what life throws at me. And, you know, life will continue to, I believe. There will be always people who will disappoint me and they will shorten my expectation. But this power will be with me when I am willing and I do certain things. Step three, I choose to turn over to the God of my understanding all attempts to cope with my pain. Step four, I become aware of all my emotions and I learn to check my body to see where my emotions are for me. They're in my chest, they're in my shoulders, they're in my stomach, and not only. And I learn not to fight them. You know, we don't fight anything and anyone. <clears throat> we don't, we can't because we're going to be prone to eat again. Step five, instead I become more honest in speaking to God, to myself, and to another being, human being, about what kind of shenanigans I do when the pain hits, because I can do a lot of things. I can do everything to avoid, avoid pain with God, even if it's destructive to others and destructive to myself. Step six, <clears throat> I pause and wait for God to step over and take this emotion and take my pain. And in step seven, <clears throat> I humbly ask God of my understanding to help me stay with the pain. And God transforms the pain. God removes what I do when I have this pain. Help me do something different. That's more useful to me and others. And God helps me not to do it alone. I can't stay with my pain alone. I have a fellowship and I have God. And the following step, <clears throat> the cleaning of the house. I hurt people due to my pain. I had no idea that that pain existed in me. Hurt people hurt people. And I speak to them. I can speak to them about my actions that were hurtful to them, and that is releasing my pain. The last three steps are the steps of maintenance and growth. And what do they tell me? 
They tell me that every single day to be healthy and sane, I need God. I can access God. You know, and I don't know about you, but something happens to my brain during the night. And, you know, the credits don't transfer from this day to the, the following day. I need to do the work to connect, to have conscious contact with my amazing higher power. I need to check myself of resentment, selfishness, selfishness, self-seeking, dishonesty, and fear. And the rules of checking myself out, the guidelines are very, very clear in the big book. These are also emotions, emotions that can give us grief. And they surface, they surface, and they are healed when we're courageous enough to search for them in our bodies and minds. I need to continue every day to the best of my ability to invite God in my day, to search and listen to God, to be able to see God's signals in my path. God speaks to others, but not only. God throws me signals during my day and tells me what to do. I only need to use the tools of this program to cope once again best way I can and bring the God in all areas of my life. And if I do that, or if I do all of that, the 12 steps guarantee me a spiritual awakening. As a result of this step, I will have a spiritual awakening. Now here's the catch 22 of recovery within the 12 steps. The ultimate gift for me, for me, Doing all of this work is not that I'm become the most wonderful person on earth. What is it then? Is that I'm able to help others. Page 89, working with others chapter, the first paragraph. Practical experience shows that nothing was so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. When I do this, when I help others, I can maintain my healing, the God-given healing from everything and everyone. An important phase in recovery from grief, grief is acceptance. Acceptance of my disease, of my father's alcoholism, of my mom's preoccupation with the disease of alcoholism. Acceptance, then even without them, even if they don't know what I want them to do, I will be okay. Acceptance of the fact that I lost my sister and I can be okay. Acceptance of the relationships in my life just the way they are, not the way I want them to be. And acceptance of just life itself. Acceptance of the fact that no human power can be used to fix fix my addiction to food, people, places, and things. Because it's not only my addiction to food. It's it's my addiction to others, to situations. I want the situation because it will make me happy. It's a lie, I tell myself. Only God can make me happy. 
Acceptance is the solution to all of my problems today. And beautiful words in page 420. <clears throat> There's a story called Acceptance is the Answer. And it says something like this. Acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for him to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to be done and leave the results up to him. However, it turns out that God's will for me. I must keep my magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations because my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. And I don't have to like what's happening. I can be mad at what's happening. God understands that, but I need to accept and surrender to what is. Compassion is another quality that heals grief and pain. Big book is full of of compassion. God is compassion for me. Compassion is helping us to work with others. It's an experience of understanding the pain in others with a desire to help them. But also we need to let go of our expectations of how others should be. When I do that, my higher power enters in the space between me and others and heals all of us. It's a guarantee. <clears throat> God can do for us what I can, we cannot do for ourselves. Compassion lies at the very heart of practice of step 12. So just like me, when I help a fellow compulsive overeater with recovery from food addiction, I can help the same way someone else with their own grief if I heal my grief. Because I, can, I need to access God because I, I need to access God. I'm powerless over my pain and suffering. And I am powerless over your pain and suffering. The literature in AA states that com- compassionate action results from the meaningful practice of step 10 and 11. Compassionate action results from God's directed intuition and inspiration. That selfishness is the enemy of compassion action. And therefore, no action which has a hint, any hint a personal goal in it, no matter how noble that goal could be, is a compassionate action. It means the total absence of an ulterior motive in giving. I'm here for you with a total and genuine desire to help you without expense, expecting anything in return. And you know, I can never give to others what I do not have. I will be lying to myself and you and be deceitful for you to you when I intend to help you achieve something that I have not achieved yet. I learned and continue to learn compassion by practicing the 12 steps. I dare to say, today I have a life that is forever amazing. And here's the catch 22. Other people's circumstances 
have not changed that much. People will continue to do what I don't want them to do and hurt me profoundly. But I have changed. God changed me because I was willing. Today I can say that I believe for the most part that I am going to be okay. I never believed that. I, I believe the worst all the time. I believe that God will show me, as God always has, the next right thing to do when faced with frailties and injustices of life. And my problems are nothing more nor less than spiritual problems. Therefore, God will present to me spiritual solutions to face life and even death. Because if I'm going to take another compulsive bite, I will surely die. The core of us humans once said are two fundamental questions. What do I do with my pain? And why am I so alone? Well, God is the answer to both of them for me today. When God is near, I'm not alone in the pain lessons. Because there's one has, who has all power, and that one is God. May you find him now. And may the God in your heart be forever free. And with that, I will pass. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Elena, for your authentic, profound, and inspirational presentation today. Thank you for such a powerful message of hope and possibility We appreciate your service. Today's share ID, 20,554. That's 20554. Elena's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so please stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Elena, by pressing star one, I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Ginger C. Loretta H. Toby W. Toby W. Kathy D. from Minnesota. Robin. Robin, gotcha. Robin P. Kathy D. from Minnesota. Yes, Nat- Natalie M. Natalie M. Mm-hmm. Ginger C. Gotcha, Ginger. Leah, did you get Loretta H.? And Loretta H. Thank you, Loretta. Anyone else in this group? All right. Thus far, I have Toby W., Kathy D., Robin P., Natalie M., Ginger C., and Loretta H. So let's get started now with Toby W., your question, please. Good morning. Good morning, Leah. Thank you for your service. And Oh, my God. Um, I'm going to try not to cry because I'm going through grief of... um, family member dying 
And I would appreciate if you would elaborate a little bit more about when your sister died, the process that you went through to to um, to get over that grief. Or maybe you never get over it. I don't know. Right. Um, well, thank you so much. Yeah, so I think my first reaction without the 12 steps, the God of my understanding was just to numb the pain. And so I um, was going to school, to high school, and everything was normal. And, you know, um, everything acted the way, like before. <clears throat> and I believe that never happened. So that was my first reaction. And I hear from others. I work with today that that's the same reaction, denial. <clears throat> I was I buried the pain inside with everything that I've done after that. Um, and then the pain got deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was, you know, I attended therapy, but then that was not that complete in recovery. Recovering the 12 steps made this complete for me because I just simply had to work the steps simply had to access God of my understanding and God of my understanding is healing and continues to heal. Yes, I don't think perhaps grief will ever end because but there's relief and surely that was possible for me. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Toby W. Next up, Kathy D. Hi, this is Kathy D. And I just lost my mother in May. I also rejoined OA after a relapse. Um, I had lost 100 pounds and then regained 60. And one of the things that's been really hard for me, oh, I need to cry, is my mother had been in OA. But uh, all through my childhood, I remember that she was doing the gray sheet, but she did not stay with it, or she did not understand the tenth step. She did not live in recovery, and the end of her life was very, very depressing. She didn't want to live. She may have had dementia. I don't know. It wasn't a diagnosis officially, but at the very end, she couldn't swallow or eat. You mentioned your mother had dementia. And I guess I'm just, I'm not sure. My question is how to forgive my mother for, (laughs) it sounds silly now that I'm saying it, for not recovering. She was a pastor's wife. She was a leader in the community. And I'm just so sad that she never recovered. I'm wondering how to... um, I, I am in recovery, and she's gone. And I know she's in a better place. I'm not going to follow her path. And I'm just so sad that she was so close. I don't know who I need to forgive. And how to do it. I guess that's my question. 
Yeah, thank you for that question. So I believe just by asking that question and feeling your sadness, you started a grief process. I encourage you to go to the 12 steps and in forgiving, you've got to recognize your part. What is it that you need to forgive? forgive? Because when I am judging people, I can um, engage in behaviors that are destructive to them and therefore you know, push God out of my body because my God wants me to look at what I'm doing. <clears throat> I did many things to hurt my mom. And today, um, you know, the last phase of grief is acceptance. And acceptance can be accessed from working on the 12 steps. And my mom today is just the way she is for me. I don't have to change the thing. I can just, you know, stay present, talk to her, listen to what she's saying. She's very humorous, that mom of mine. We didn't mention, oh, she's 89, and she's just an amazing woman. I need to have a relationship with her just the way it is today and not change anything. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Kathy D. Robin P., your turn. Thanks so much, Leia. Thanks for your service. Thank you so much for sharing, Elena. I really the past about your grieving process with your loss of your marriage. Could you share about that? And um, I went through a divorce and gratefully got remarried to my husband, but I felt like it was really excruciating to go through that process. Um, I'd love to hear you share about that. Thank you. Sure. So that was a long ago in my early 30s um, when I got a divorce, and I loved that man. I loved my ex-husband, was the love of my life, until my daughter was born, of course. But again, I numbed the pain at that time because I didn't have 12 steps. I went to therapy, but that was not enough for me. And I, I, it wasn't enough for me because the grief of losing him began, uh, the, my grief began early on, <clears throat> not when I lost him. So, you know, I did the same thing. I numbed the pain. <clears throat> and until I got into the 12 steps of recovery, God and my understanding in the 12 steps has made possible for me to make amends to that man because I hurt him. I took him hostage. I want him to be the man I want him to be, and I judged the man he was capable to be. So we have a cordial relationship today. We, you know, text each other on birthdays, and again, I'm just accepting him just the way he is. He had a drinking problem. I have no idea if that's present for him today, but, you know, that's okay. Whatever journey he's engaging in at this time, which, you know, I judge his journey, um, is not affecting me today. It's his journey. And when I um, engage in changing that journey, I deprive him of his relationship with his own higher power of his understanding so then he could get stronger. So I hope that answers your question. 
Thanks, Robin. Natalie M., your turn to pose a question. This is uh, Natalie M. Thank you for your service. Um, yeah, I, I really heard you speaking today, and thank you for your talk. It was really helpful to me about um, acceptance throughout it. It's like weave throughout. And I'm wondering, um, with friends, how do you distinguish between, like, accepting them as they are versus being indifferent? Where, like, when do, as a friend, do you say something out of love versus just, oh, it'll be fine and just almost in a not caring way, um, if that makes sense. It does, sure. And then again, it's the basics. <clears throat> I want them to be different. So I um, am reminded of the serenity prayer. God help me change the things I can, be okay with those that I cannot, and I can distinguish the wisdom to... Um, with the difference between the two. And so, you know, the best thing I can do for my friends and everyone is to recover, recover, recover. And, I mean, I pause when I don't like something from what they're, about what they're doing. I pause and access God. The 12 steps of recovery are giving me the opportunity and the willingness to access the higher power of my understanding. And then, you know, I check myself, do I have a resentment? Do I have a fear? And I ask God through um, the the, um, prayer of the step seven to turn my attention what God would have me be. And most likely than not, most often than not, God wants me to just accept them for what they are and also know that to do what they do and to cover their own pain on the inside. And who am I to tell them that that's not okay? I don't know what's good for them. I don't know what's good for anyone. I have no idea. When I sponsor, I just talk about what's good for me, how, how I recovered. You know, food, uh, my sponsor's food is none of my problem. I'm not qualified to say that. To them, what should they should be eating? So just like them, my friends need to be free of my stepping in the way of their journey. So I have, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much. Thanks, Natalie. Ginger C, your turn. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for everybody's service. I am Ginger C., a real compulsive overeater. An abstinent date is July 4th, 2023. Thank you, God. Elena, that was super powerful. Thank you. Let's just give credit where it's due. God working through you, but what a message you brought to the line. And I've often heard those that grieve well live well. And I'm just curious. You know, pain is our touchstone. This is how we get to God. But I have run from pain my entire life, and I've eaten plenty of bites to shove it back down because it comes up, and it's uncomfortable, and I don't like it. And I'm just curious your take on this. I personally feel like our issues are in our tissues, and we got plenty of work to do. And you're right, recover, recover, recover. Focus on this work. Abide in the work. When God brings this up, I don't need to dig for it, but when it comes up, allow it. Sit with it. 
learn from it, grow with it. And I feel like a big disservice we do in these 12-step rooms is we're supposed to be happy, joyous, and free. That's what the book says. So let's just roll on and push it away and, and deny it and get into a 10-step because, again, I'm uncomfortable, so I just need to turn this channel and have this new experience. And I feel like I've eaten many bites because I'm missing that one component around this pain that's there to serve and to help me and to grow me. And so I'm just curious, do you think that we're doing a disservice in this way by not allowing that when it comes up that it's there and it's good? It's not about, again, uh, neatly evading and ignoring. So I'm just curious your take on that. Thank you. Absolutely. I think we're doing a disservice to us. And when we, I do disservice to myself, I cannot do service for others. Now, pain it's a one day at a time thing. Pain is necessary to get stronger, but suffering is optional. So what suffering means is, you know, I I have the pain and I do not see and I'm not willing to stop when I have that pain and go to the God of my understanding. Because with the God of my understanding, I will not suffer. It's a promise. And so it's a one day at a time, one day at a time. This morning I needed to get up and I was nervous about, about this. And I asked this God and my heart um, did not be as fast with, heart, with God. My heart slowed down and I could breathe normally and, you know, talk to you and and tell my story. So cope with pain is my encouragement. One day at a time, just do what step 10, 11, and 12 are telling us. Do it with God. You're not alone. Thank you. Thank you, Ginger C., for your question. Loretta H., your turn. Good morning, Leah, and good morning. Um, oh, wow, why can't Elena? I'm having a brain freeze. Uh, thank you, thank you. It was wonderful, and I'm still ruminating in your uh, discussion of um, grief, and it's a very interesting way to look at it, and I love your digestion. My um, question is, um, you talked about this, you know, when something comes about, it's usually um, a hungry heart. And I know for me, because of the hysterical, historical stuff that has been in my life, my childhood was very much like yours. Um, and I actually went the other way. But how do you immediately quell the idea not that it's a good idea to even eat or not eat, but the action you take so that you're almost assured of something that's going to save you. Like, what is that immediate action you take for that hungry heart? That's my question. I hope it's understandable. Yes, it does. Thank you. Well, let me just say that what came to me just now to to share with, with you is that my hungry heart 
will never be satiated if I don't have God in my heart. My hungry heart will be full, not with food, not with mine needed to be approved by others, will only be full if I have God. God is in my heart. God is in my heart. At the core of each one of us is a fundamental idea of God. And if we don't honor our pain, we push God out of our body. The tools of the 12 steps that I need to use every day make possible for me to get God back in my heart so my heart is well. And I have that answer that answers your question. Thank you, Loretta H. We still have time for a few more questions. If you'd like to pose a question, star one to unmute Mar- your name. Marion H. Marion H. I have Mary R, Marion H. Jeannie B. Jeannie B. Maura Z. K. And Maura Z. And we'll stop there for now. Thank you. Okay, Mary Lee R, go right ahead with your question, please. Am I unmuted? You are. Oh, cool. This is Mary Lee R in Eugene, Oregon, in recovery just for today and so grateful for my higher powers, mercy, and grace. My question is, have you ever had a time when you just felt disconnected from your higher power? Um, Or maybe just, I too have just recently uh, lost a family member. And what are some of the things you do to, to reconnect if you ever felt disconnected? Thank you. Oh, sure. Uh, Well, I can feel disconnected every day, but without uh, the recovery in the 12 steps, I was like the tree that was taken out of its roots. I had no connection with the universe. I felt alone. So what do I do every day, one day at a time? I access God by just working and taking action that the 12 steps are giving me just take action pray and meditate talk to god listen to god check myself of resentment selfishness dishonesty self-seeking and fear and you know willing to get to get god and then reach out to others so that's that's a that's a really profound thing for me because I was taken out of my roots, and then I was alone. I was not connected with the trees. The trees connect. If you if you um, Google how the trees connect in in this world of ours, they are connected through their roots. They feed each other, and that's how we are in a vision. And you know, for me and Alanon too, I can when I have God. I can reconnect with the roots of the trees with you. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Marian H., your turn to pose a question. 
Marion H., star one to unmute, please. Okay, I'm so sorry. I've been talking away without unmuting myself. Marion H., can I be heard? Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for your service, Leah and Elena. Uh, I have been in uh, Overeaters Anonymous for a very long time and in and out of relapse. And I'm also from Romania, and I'm a Holocaust survivor. And I lost quite a few uh, members of my family. My husband, one of them, uh, about a year and a half ago, and a son. And uh, grief has been with me for a very long time. So I know that the answers for me is in God. And how do I how do I stop overeating and putting down the food finally? I have a sponsor, and I'm abstinent for about two months now only. And put everything where it belongs and just go on with my life because I'm 81 years old, and I need to be in recovery, and I need to be close to God. So how do I do that? Thank you. Good question. Another Romanian fellow in. A vision. Welcome. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, um, how do you how do you do that? How do you put a foot down? So, Harlan says in this line, you put a foot down by putting the foot down, right? So, um, I don't know what your triggering foods are, but what I did, I uh, put. Everything that triggered me, that I knew that triggered me, I put it down. I did not buy it. I did not put it in my pantry, in my fridge. I had a food plan that I submitted it to my sponsor every day, along with other things. And so I put food down. And I put the food down, and I called upon God. With God, I can always put the the food down. Without God, I will eat again. And I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Marian H. Jeannie B., it's your turn to pose a question. Good morning. Thank you for everyone who put this meeting together. Uh, good morning, Elena. Thank you so much for this wonderful talk. My question is about motivation and my alcoholic mind. I um, am somebody who likes a lot of change, likes a lot of diversity. I was wondering if you ever struggle with motivation to do the same recovery every day, the same steps every day, or the same action plan and what you do to address that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. So I think when I hear motivation for me could be depression. So depression can be a component of grief and depression or sadness, again, is the pain that I'm not able to feel and um, or I don't want to feel. So God of my understanding has sent me um, to other resources to help myself. And I'm not going to talk about that. But after that, God of my understanding told me the next right thing to do to uh, 
help my motivation, help my depression. And um, because, you know, he told me that if I don't do that, it's going to be hard to stay with him. Motivation and depression paralyzes me in bed. And um, I'm just like, blah. And, you know, it's very, very hard to have God with that. But I could do something to help that to help myself with that. And, um, and then, again, remain in the 12 steps of recovery with the God of my understanding. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Jeannie B. Maura Z, star one to unmute. Thank you, Leah, for your service always. Elena, thank you for your your vulnerabil- vulnerability and sharing um, your story this morning. Um, I wasn't going to cry, and now all of a sudden it's coming up. So my question <laughs> is this. And I, I love that. <laughs> I was fine until I started talking. Um, I don't know if you have this experience or not, but... Um, if you did, I'd love you to share on, um, I had an amends to make to my sister and did not make them, did not make it. And then she was gone and it took me years, but I finally wrote a letter and made my amends as best as I could, but everyone, and, and have had some peace around it. Thanks to God. I've had some peace around it. But every once in a while it pops up and I'm sitting again in the grief and the guilt. And um, I just wonder if you have any experience with that or if you have any insights into that as to how to let that go again and to stop to stop sure. beating myself up. Thank sure. you. Well, you know, I have good bad news and good news for you. Um you will always experience grief, guilt, always. Those are common human emotions. I will always have human emotions because I'm human, and being human is not a character defect. A character defect is are those moments when I go into myself, with myself, do whatever the heck I'm doing alone. And then, you know, the guilt and the grief deepens even more. And I love that you wrote a letter uh, to her. I myself wrote a letter to my sister and to my father. My father passed in 2016. But today, because of this recovery in the 12 steps and then um, getting me a God of my understanding, I could also have a spiritual relationship with these people. They're not in human form, but they are somewhere with their God of their understanding. And, you know, I feel their presence. And um, just like God tells me, they understand that I have guilt. And then, you know, you have, you still have the 12 steps. You still have uh, steps 10, 11, and 12. And if it continues to surface whatever surfaces. Um, somebody told me, go back to 
the first step because it's a problem of not having God. So after the the twelve the access you got of your understanding with a step one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. <clears throat> so and then, you know, go to step four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine and see what else is being is gonna be revealed because every time I do that, uh you know, maybe not every time I'm aware, but there's something else that I need to know so then I can become integrated into myself and God. With It's almost like the, I'm, a, I'm in psychology, so I believe in the unconscious and the conscious awareness. So conscious awareness for me is God. And so other things will be revealed to me from the unconscious. And when that happens, it's just a moment of celebration and honoring because I am getting integrated right now. I had no idea who I was. I was the person who I thought other people uh, wanted me to be or they were telling me that I was. Well, I was not that. God knows who I am and wants me to, to know myself. And I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Maura Z, for your question. We can take one more. Anyone else with something on their mind? Question for Laura? Okay, you're it. Go ahead, Laura. Thanks so much. Elena, thank you so much. You've been such a gift to me on my journey. Quickly, so my father died 30 years ago. My mother's still alive. And I wanted to see what you had to say about God's role in helping me forgive myself and the harms that I caused them. I've worked the steps over this many, many times, and I still carry shame, which creates my own, which creates more grief on top of the grieving, you know, losing um, my dad and then. Um, other issues with my mom. So I'll stop there because I know we're running out of time. So thank you. So your question is, what do you do when you feel shame? Is that right? Okay, so this is what I heard, that um, I heard that you want to know what you do when you feel shame. So Shame is another human emotion. There's bad news. You will always feel shame. The good news is that you can recover from that. You can feel the shame in a way that's not destructive for for you. Um, Shame is, to me, uh, feeling bad about who I am. And guilt is, to me, feeling bad of something that I did. So there's two separate emotions. They're emotions. We will celebrate in recovery the vastness of our emotions, but we will not be slaves to them because we have God of our understanding, and with God of my understanding, I could feel my emotions and be okay with it one day at a time. I hope that answers your question. 
Thank you, Laura, and thank, thank you, you to all who posed questions this morning. Certainly a robust Q&A segment. Thank you so much. And, Elena, thank you for a powerful presentation this morning. So helpful to so many. And another gem for the archives. Today's your ID, 20,554. That's 20554. And we'll close from page 164 in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.